0: I want us to pick right back up where we left off in our study of the beatitudes. So we'll be in Matthew chapter five this morning, and um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here um, thinking about uh, all that we are learning together in these um, in these statements of Jesus as an introduction to a sermon on the mount. So I just want to remind you of a couple of things real quick to kind of set our minds back in this mode of understanding the beatitudes. One. Remember that we have to understand the Beatitudes collectively. Though they are individual statements that each give us a different picture of the character of the kingdom, we can't isolate them when we read and study them. We have to understand what one means in the context of what all of them mean together. And I think this morning you'll, you'll especially see that in what we will uh, look at in verse 8. Um, but also remember the setting and the context Jesus is introducing what will be sort of the Magna Carta of the kingdom, his, his um, expression of what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like. And the people who are there, the people who are listening to him have one primary question that they have on their hearts, one motivation for being there listening to him. They are asking the question, what does the kingdom of God look like and how do I make sure I don't miss it? And so this is what Jesus is answering. And so um, I want us to go back to chapter 5. And as we have done so far, I want us to begin with verse 1 and read through uh, the beatitude that we'll be focusing on this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1. This is Matthew. As he writes, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And now verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we think about the crowd of people that are gathered on this hillside listening to Jesus, they're Jews, they're, they're, they're um, like day-to-day common people of all, from all kinds of backgrounds, but, but the Pharisees are there as well, there are people from that crowd, and they're listening to what Jesus has to say and what they, um, what they wanted more than anything. You say, what was their motivation for wanting to listen to Jesus in the first place? Their core motivation was they wanted to see God. This was what they had hoped for. This is what the generations before them had hoped for. They were waiting for Messiah to come and this idea that Jesus might be him motivated them to come and and that what motivated their interest in Jesus was the fact that that they were a people who wanted to see God. And we think about all the world religions. If we step back from Christianity and we just look at religion in general, every religion whether it be um in in all of its diversity, all of the different world religions, if we you break them all down to the very core, they are the human pursuit Of people who want to see God they want to see God they want to perceive God they want to understand who he is that's sort of the the pursuit of all religions of all faiths ultimately in some form or fashion and you are here this morning because you deep down inside of you you have a desire to see God too that's why you're here you believe that coming here will allow you to see and perceive and understand something about God that maybe you haven't before. And, and, and this is what the people there that day, this is why they're listening to Jesus. And so just the same way that Jesus summed up, you remember in Matthew 22 they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? If you, and, and they asked him to sum up everything and he summed up and he said, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two things. And what were they? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was able to take those two statements and sum up the, everything that the law and the prophets, everything together. I think in a very similar way in this sixth statement of the beatitudes I believe that verse 8 is is a beautiful if you had to pick one of these beatitudes to summarize what they all mean together I think this would be it blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God it's a it's a simple statement it's a brief statement it's short but it carries a lot of meaning in it and it's deep and so I want us to to kind of think about it and try to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, and we said that that word blessed means happy, fulfilled, satisfied, like completely, eternally. Happy are those, fulfilled and satisfied are those who are pure in heart. So the word pure there is a word catharas, or, or catharas is, is the proper pronunciation. "Katharos" is, is the word that we get, our English word, catharsis, right? Catharsis, or if something is cathartic, that means it's, it's cleansing. And so this is what this word pure means. That Jesus uses means it means clean free from mixture or adhesion to anything that soils adulterates or corrupts it means that it's 100% pure there's no foreign elements that are in it. it it's made completely clean and pure this is a word that describes something that has been cleansed or purified like metal being purified by fire and we see that image in scripture a lot and and the and the writers of scripture use that imagery a lot. That that you, you metal as it's put through fire is purified. All the contaminants and the foreign elements in it are taken away, and it's purified. I found it interesting too that this is also a word that would be used to describe a vine that has been pruned to keep a a plant or a vine healthy so that it continues to bear fruit. You have to prune it, which means every all of the, the excess, everything that, that doesn't have life and doesn't contribute to the production of the fruit, you cut off and do away with. A vine that's been pruned could be described as katharos, so pure. But then Jesus says a specific kind of purity, a purity of heart. And that word heart is the word kardia, And that sounds familiar, right? That's where when we talk about uh, cardiac issues with your heart. this This is the word that Jesus is talking about. But he's not talking about the muscle that's in your chest. He's talking about the core of who you are. That word heart, it means the center of physical and spiritual life. It's the core of who we are. When we use phrases like, let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the core. Let's get to the, to the essence of it. Or when you look at your spouse or your loved one or your kids and you say, I love you with all my heart. You're not talking about the blood pumping muscle. That would be kind of gross. Like We don't say, I love you with my spleen or I love you with my kidney. <laughs> so, I love you with all my heart. It's, it's, it's the, the essence of who we are. So this is a heavy statement. And this would have been a heavy statement on the ears of the people listening to Jesus. Remember, they're not just the, the, the common everyday people, but these are the Pharisees too that are listening to him. And what they hear Jesus say when he says this is if you want to see God in the kingdom, a pure heart is a requirement. You're gathered here because you want to see God. I'm telling you that if you want to see God, you have to have a pure heart. That's the prerequisite for seeing god but that sounds like a problem doesn't it and if i were to listen to jesus say well you'll never get to heaven you'll never be a part of the kingdom you'll never see god unless you have a pure heart there should be something in us that goes "Uh (laughs) uh-oh because if you're as acquainted with your heart As I am with mine and as we are the heart of the human condition, we know that it is not pure. And the Bible even speaks about the condition of the human heart. And it backs up and says that. In Jeremiah chapter 17, this is what the prophet said and this is what God spoke through the prophet. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? And then God speaks. I, the Lord, examine the mind and I what? Test the heart. To give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. So this is the justice of God on the human heart. And scripture says our hearts are more deceitful than anything else. All of the deceit, all of the sin in the world ultimately comes from the hearts of people. This is what I want to warn and say to you. Any philosophy, any religion, any faith, any any worldview that begins with the idea that people are good is a lie. People are not good there are religions there are faiths there there are whole world systems that want to start out with the fact that hey people in in their heart in the essence of them they really most people are good no they're not the bible says that the human heart is deceitful um any when i hear a preacher say something like well people are good that's that idea is what keeps people from coming to jesus That idea is what keeps people from experiencing salvation through the gospel. The idea that you don't have to worry so much because you're a pretty good person. And how many times have we shared the gospel with someone and we can't convince them of their need for Jesus because they have this idea that they're a pretty good person. And as long as we're good people, we don't need God. We are not good people. Later in Matthew 15, all of these are from... the, the. the Beatitudes of Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7. But later in Matthew 15, um, there's, a, there's an instance where um, the disciples are eating and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they question Jesus. And they say, uh, we see your disciples eating food, but they're not washing their hands properly. Now, this is more than just like COVID protocol, like washing your hands for 20 seconds. What they're talking about, there was a ceremonial um cleanliness that came that the Jews observed when they would eat it wasn't just about having clean hands so you don't get germs it was a it was being clean before God when you when you ate there was a ceremony to it and Jesus disciples just weren't observing that and the Pharisees questioned him said why are you why are you letting your disciples eat without properly washing their hands and this shows this was one example of the Pharisees just pre-consumption with with the outward purity of their lives they were so focused on what the outward purity and listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 15 in response to this question about washing their hands he says don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated that was Jesus nice way of saying look whatever you eat ends up not being a deal because it it, you're, it goes away. And we all know how that happens. But verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the what? Heart. And this defiles a person. Verse 19, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander, These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So the Pharisees understood something, but they they were missing what was bigger. You say, well, what, what did they understand? The Pharisees understood that impure, defiled people won't enter the kingdom of God. That's true. Because it's consistent with what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The Pharisees were all about purity, but they were all about external purity. They were all about outer purity. And what Jesus is saying to them here is that you guys are concerned. Yes, we have to be pure to come into the kingdom, but you are concerned with the wrong kind of purity. You're focused on outward purity, You should be more concerned about the condition of your hearts, your inner purity, because that's what matters to God. That's what God sees. Because the beatitude that Jesus gives us in verse 8 is not, Blessed are those who get their act together, for they will see God. Praise the Lord, that's not what Jesus said. Blessed are those who clean up their acts, for they will see God. How many times do we talk to people about coming into a relationship with God or maybe even just coming and being involved in the church, and what do they say? Well, i got to clean up my life before I come. I have to get my act together before I can come to God. Jesus says, no, you have to do even more than that. (laughs) You have to have something greater than, than a cleaned up outer life. He says, you have to have a pure heart. Your heart has to be pure. Quit focusing so much on the purity that people can see on the outside that that stops there, but the purity that goes deeper. And this was the Pharisees' hang-up. They were so focused on outer purity. Look at Matthew 23, again in Matthew's gospel later. Jesus speaks some hard words to them. Beginning in verse 25, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites,' he says." You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the inside of it may also, so that the outside of it also may become clean. Verse 27 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity in the same way on the outside you seem righteous to people but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness these are strong words so you're like what is jesus saying he's saying that it's not your language that makes you pure it's not your ceremony that makes you pure It's not your practice, it's not your actions, it's not your charity, it's not your going to church, it's not the way you dress, it's not the way you talk, it's not any of these things that make you pure because those are all outside. None of those things can make you pure enough to see God. The only ones who will see God are the ones with pure hearts on the inside. So what does a purified heart look like when we read this and Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You say, well, what does that that look like? I'm gonna give you two things that this phrase pure in heart describes for us. What does Jesus mean? Number one, it describes a single undivided heart committed to one thing. One thing, or better said, one person. And then number two, it describes a morally pure, honest, and sincere heart. So there's, there's two aspects to this phrase, pure in heart, and they really are very much tied together. If we tried to pull them apart and look at them two separately, it, it, it would be confusing. We have to look at them together because both of these characteristics are present in the heart of the, those that are in the kingdom. And the, they are also constantly at work in the heart of someone who is a part of the kingdom. The ones who are pure in heart are undivided in their commitment and devotion. Jesus is their one thing. Jesus is their one person. Um, What did Jesus say? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus didn't say, keep my commandments and then you will love me. He understood, even in that statement, that the keeping of his commands, the obedience to Jesus, doesn't begin with the obedience. It begins with the heart of the obedient. What is your heart for God? What is your heart for Jesus? And in that heart, and your heart for him must be single, undivided. Not split between two things. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 24. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. We can't be fully devoted in our hearts to more than one thing because if we're devoted to more than one thing, then our devotion is fractured and it's not pure. And it's not full. Now understand this. Jesus is not calling for moral perfection in the heart of every person who is a believer in him. That's not what he's saying. Because our flesh struggles, right? Our flesh fights and struggles in moments of weakness. And we sometimes fail in our faithfulness to Jesus. I do. You do. But there is an undivided desire to love and serve Jesus in the heart of a person with a pure heart. The Apostle Paul even talked about it. And he even struggled and said, the reason I struggle so much is because my flesh will will draw me into, my flesh causes me to be unfaithful to the one that I want to be faithful to. And there's only one that I want to be faithful to, and that's Christ. For Paul, it, it, it's not an issue of a divided heart. Our flesh may cause us to fail and sin in moments of weakness and we and we decide to rebel in time. But, but in, in, in our heart of hearts, there's only one that we want to give our devotion to. And that's Jesus, undivided. That's the, that's the pure heart. And the pure heart that is undivided and committed to Jesus, it's that heart that is able to obey. It's that heart that's able to act in obedience and express love to Jesus because he is the only thing that they want. He is the only thing that they're committed to. We're right in the middle of the fall and we're right in the middle of the college football season, right? Oh boy, I got more response from that than I've gotten all morning. Somebody once said, if, if the Southeastern Conference is isn't a religion, don't know what is. But many of you might understand this in the context of, of that. We are, we are loyal and faithful to our college football teams, right? And your loyalty and faithfulness to a particular school dictates what you will do and what you will not do right there are certain things it's very well known that my house and my family we are university of georgia bulldogs loud and proud and some of you may amen that and some of you may owe me that that's whatever whatever your your thing is that's fine but there are certain things that a pure georgia bulldog fan will not do yeah somebody called me out on this a few weeks ago I, I came to church was dressed ready for church and I had a shirt that was coral <laughs> the color of my shirt was coral but I got I got just obliterated after church by people coming to me saying why were you wearing an orange shirt because Georgia Bulldog fans don't wear orange amen Amen. You won't, there is not, you won't wear orange. Now, I may have faltered a bit that day in my flesh. You know, it's like, oh, uh, okay, maybe I, maybe I flirted a little too much with orange. Maybe I got a little too close and it caused people to question me, right? But there are certain things that, that you will not do, there are certain things that you will always do. I, I for the life of me um, don't understand house divided tags that are on the fronts of cars and trucks um, that have have like the University of Florida on one side and and the and University of Georgia on the other side or Alabama and georgia or or uh, you know Georgia Tech in Georgia. I'm like I, I I don't understand how that works if If that works in your house, then good for you. Um, but that's, that just seems completely foreign to me. I, I, I don't even understand how that works. If if that works in your, in your family, in your marriage, you can do that. That's fine. Because what college sports team you are a fan of has no eternal consequence at all. And let me just remind us of that. Because we get so wrapped up in it. It, it, it has no eternal consequence whatsoever, okay? So let's behave when we're doing that. <laughs> but house divided doesn't work with Jesus. That's what this beatitude is about. He says that a heart that is divided is not pure. And it's only the pure in heart that will see God. James talks about it in James chapter 4. I want to show you verse 4 and then read verse 8. And you'll see how James connects this, this issue of purity of heart With division. Verse 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify what? Purify your hearts, you double minded. That phrase, double-minded, James is talking about the people who want to give their devotion to Christ and the world. They wanna love Jesus, they wanna follow him, they wanna be in the kingdom, but they also wanna hold on to their allegiance to the world, and James says, you can't do that. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, as long as you are double-minded, if there's a division, then the fix for that is that your heart needs to be purified. Purity of your hearts. And then previously in verse 8, he says, cleanse your hands. So that talks about, that's like the moral side of the pure in heart. Cleansing your hands. You can only have clean hands if you have a pure heart. And a pure heart can only be pure when it's not divided. Divided. So do you see the connection there? A divided heart is an impure heart and an impure heart will have unclean hands. Clean hands comes from a pure heart and a pure heart can only be pure when it is undivided. Loving the world, desiring the things of the world and chasing after those with the same same devotion as to Christ is double-mindedness. The pure in heart will be motivated to live lives obedient to Jesus because he is their singular devotion. He is the one thing that they desire to be devoted to and no other thing. Pure hearts before God. Here might be another way that we can change our view and maybe understand it. Those of you who are married or or planning to get married, what if you stood in front of a your family and friends on your wedding day and your vow that the vow that your spouse makes to you is that from now on I will be committed I vow to be committed mostly to you I vow to be committed mostly to you is that going to fly are you satisfied with that Would you be happy in a marriage where someone made a vow to be committed mostly to you? That means I will be committed to other things. All of the love and devotion that I have in my heart is going to be split. But I'm going to make sure you get at least 51% of it. But the rest of it, I might give to another person. Men, to look at your wife and say, well, at least 51% of the time I will love you and be faithful to you, but the other 49% I might give to another woman. Ladies, does that work for you? Mm -mm. No, because that's not the way God designed marriage to be, right? Marriage is a full, singular commitment between one man and one woman. By the way, that is the only marriage. That's a different sermon. But if God modeled, and, 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 and Paul says in Ephesians that marriage is a picture, it's an illustration of what? The relationship between Christ and his church. So if God modeled and made the relationship in marriage between a husband and wife to be pure singularly devoted to one person 100% why do we think that God is okay with our relationship with him being any different if marriage is supposed to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church then there can be no other loves there can be no other devotions there can be no other faithfulness Jesus says purity is essential And the ones who are pure in heart have no other loves, no other vows, no other commitments to anyone else other than Jesus. So this is a high bar. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones that will see God. Singular, undivided heart, living in moral obedience to Christ because he is our singular commitment. He is our one thing. Now where does that type of pure heart come from? You may say, "Okay, how do I make how do what do I have to do to have that kind of heart for God?" You can't do anything. This is the problem and this was the issue that the Pharisees had. They believed that they could. They believed that they could purify their own lives. They believed that they could purify their own hearts by these external things. But we can't. That kind of purity doesn't come from you. That kind of purity in my life doesn't come from me. It only comes from one place. First John chapter one, listen to verses six through nine. John writes here and says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. This is a picture of a divided heart. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with God, I love God, I'm, I'm devoted to Jesus, I'm a believer, but yet we're walking in darkness. We're giving our love and devotion to something else while professing it for God. He says we are liars. That's a picture of an impure, divided heart. And then verse seven, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and look, the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? cleanses us from all sin. The only thing that makes your heart pure before God is the blood of Jesus. Nothing that you do. No effort that you put into it. There's nothing that you can do. And then look at verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those are the people who are trying to purify their own hearts. Those were the Pharisees. I have no sin. I have disciplined myself and orchestrated all of my outward life of obedience to the point where I've eliminated sin in my life. I, don't, I, I am pure before God. John says if we say we are pure before God and we have no sin because of ourselves, then we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, we are lying. But verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, God provides for his own requirement. It is absolutely true to say purity is a prerequisite for a relationship with God. My heart has to be pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they are the ones that will see God. You say, well, I can't purify my heart. And God said, you're right, you can't. And so I'm going to make a way for your heart to be made pure. And I'm going to send my son. And through his sacrifice, his blood sacrifice on the cross, I'm going to impute and take his purity. And when you put your faith and trust in him, I'm going to take his purity and impute it to you. Give, it to, give you credit for his purity so that you are made pure, not by your own Acts, but by the act of my son. God says to see me you have to have a pure heart but because you can't have a pure heart I'm going to make a way to give you a pure heart. Only then are we able to walk in practical purity. It's only after God imputes the purity of Jesus to us through faith in the gospel jesus finished work on the cross it's only then that we're able to walk in a practical purity striving to live lives of purity in devotion to the one who made us pure i can't live a pure life until god gives me a pure heart and i can't create a pure heart in me god is the only one that can do that But look at what God says, that purification. Ezekiel 36, God describes in this passage that process of what he does when when we understand that our hearts are filthy and dirty before him. When we go back to that first beatitude, we are poor in spirit. We understand that we have empty hands, we are dirty, filthy, and we are in need of the purity of Jesus to be given to us so that we can be in relationship with God. The cleansing that God does, look at Ezekiel 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Singular, one devotion. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, look at verse 27, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Where does the power to obey God come from? It comes from him. It comes from the power of a pure heart. And God says, once once you surrender your heart to me and allow me to wash it and cleanse it and purify it by the blood of my son and by his sacrifice, then I will be able to move you to be obedient in a way that you've never been able to be obedient before because you didn't love me completely. But now because I've purified your heart, I've made your heart only for me, now you, you, you can begin to walk in that purity. And that is what we're responsible for. That is, that is an act on our parts. We can't, we, we don't just say, well, God's going to make me pure, and then we just keep on doing what we're doing. There's a discipline. We're called to the responsibility to begin to shape and change our actions because God has changed our heart and our motivations are different. And then through the discipline of the Holy Spirit, we're, we begin to change. The way we do things and our desire for things changes right because our desires aren't divided anymore they're singular they're focused completely on jesus and so the things we used to give our love and devotion to we decide that's not what we want anymore and though the flesh struggles and fails at times the heart is made pure by the gospel and then jesus makes a promise in this beatitude blessed are the pure in heart for they will what see god here's last point that you can write down when our hearts are made pure by god in salvation our eyes are open so that we can rightly see god scripture over and over talks about how before we are in christ we are blind to the things of god there are things that we can't see we live and walk in darkness But it's only after God purifies our hearts through salvation that the blinders are removed and we can begin to see God. We can see him differently. And those of you who are believers, you know what I'm talking about. Even at the moment that you decided to put your faith and trust in Christ and you acted on that, there there was this new vision that you had you you could see god in a way that you could never see him before there were things that you could perceive about god that you never perceived before i love to see new believers start reading their bibles because they can see god in the scriptures now in a way that they couldn't before before they were what they were in christ they would read the bible and go i don't know what the heck this means what is the what this is so hard to read i don't understand what i don't understand i don't see god in this And then once the Spirit purifies their hearts and they open it up, they say, there he is. He's been there the whole time. I I couldn't see it before, but now now I can see him. We see him in the world. You begin to look at everything differently. You look at nature differently. You look at at the world differently. You look at, at society differently, and you see people differently, don't you? Because... Now when you see people, you don't just see people who are like you. You see people who were made in the image of God. And you begin to treat them different. And you begin to feel differently about them. And and you begin to love them differently. The things that you were once blind to, now you can see. (laughs) And that sounds like a song you might know. But not only... Does that promise of rightly seeing God apply to us now? Those that are pure in heart will see God. We will see God now. But there's a day that we'll see him completely. Because there will be a day when our hearts will be made pure in a new way. It's not our hearts have already been made pure. But, but then what's going to happen is... everything is going to be made pure our flesh is going to be made pure the world is going to be made pure everything sinful is going to be removed and then we'll see God face to face can you imagine what that is going to be like to see the face of God because now if we were to see the face of God we're so cursed by sin that it would kill us we can't see God that way we couldn't stand it but one day He says, the pure in heart will see God. It's what Jim talked about a couple of weeks ago. The glory of heaven. Being able to see and perceive and understand everything about God that we've never been able to before. That's only for the pure in heart. So I want to end with with a verse from Job. Job 42, verse 5, and all that Job endured and went through in all of his encounters with God, the simple statement in verse 5 in chapter 42, Job says, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I wonder if that's your testimony. I wonder if you can identify with Job there to say, wow, there was a time in my life that I heard about God. I couldn't really see him. Couldn't really understand it. But there was a day that I understood how dirty my heart was. And maybe after trying to purify and clean my life up for God enough, I realized that there was nothing I could do. And I cried out to him and I asked him to purify my heart, to clean my life by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when he did that, I could finally see him. Have you seen him? Have you seen him that way? It's only through the blood of Jesus that we can see him. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we're given pure hearts, given pure hearts, not earn, not create for ourselves, but we cry out to God, God, forgive me, save me, cleanse me, purify me before you, and he promises that he'll do that, and when he does that, our eyes are open and we can see him like we never saw him before.